Are you satisfied with the way your life is? Are, are things going okay for you on the job? Is your income satisfactory? Now I know that some of you, your wives are gone this weekend on the retreat, so maybe life isn't so satisfactory, but it will be in a few hours when they come back. But what about conditions in our community or conditions in our country or in the world? Are you satisfied with the way things are or you want them to be better? Sounds like some political ad, doesn't it? We've been been hearing a lot of that lately, haven't we? It seems our politicians like to point out to us just how unsatisfied we should be with the way things are. And of course, they tell us how they can make it better. And, and maybe they can. Maybe they will have a plan and some ideas to make things better. On the other hand, maybe some of the things that they're going to do are going to make things worse. Or maybe what they say is just a bunch of empty promises. Don't know. So should we just continue then as we are and think, well, that's the way it is, and be unsatisfied? Is there any kind of hope that things could be changed, that things could be different? There is, of course, with our God. We're in the season of the church year called Epiphany, which is a fancy word that means the revelation or the the showing forth of Jesus. And what it gives us an opportunity to do is to take a look at Jesus. And so we're doing that with a series of messages entitled, Seeing the Real Jesus. Now people have their different views of Jesus. They know that Christians claim him to to be God, to be almighty, to, to rule over all things. And then they kind of expect, and, and, and maybe we do too, that because that's true, then everything should be just wonderful in our life. There shouldn't be any problems. There shouldn't be any worries. There shouldn't be any fears. Is it that way? No. You know, Jesus even told us, in this world, you will have trouble. But, he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now, what does it mean that he has overcome the world? If if we still experience all of these troubles and and problems in life, how is it he has overcome the world? And and how, how can I be happy about that? Because not only is he an almighty, sovereign Lord, he's also your servant. Today we want to see how those two things fit together and see how blessed we are in life. The portion of Scripture that we're going to look at today uh, comes from Acts chapter 4. Now right before that, in in Acts chapter 3, we're told that the apostles John and Peter went to the temple to worship God. And there they went past a man who had been lame from birth. And he was asking for help. Well, Peter said, we don't have anything to give you except for this. In the name of the Lord Jesus, get up and walk. And the man did. Peter and John were able to heal that man so that though he had been lame from birth, he could now walk. Well, when people saw that, they were amazed. And they all flocked around Peter and John and wanted to know how they could do that. And, 
And what do you mean in the name of Jesus? And, and they went on to explain all about Jesus. Now you would say, wow, that was great. But things took kind of an interesting turn as they were then arrested and put on trial and thrown in jail because they did something good. Because they healed this guy and were talking about Jesus. But the Jewish authorities did not want that. In fact, after beating them, they threatened them to no longer mention the name Jesus. Why is it that that would happen when they're doing the right things? When they're doing the things God called them to do? Where was the Almighty? Where was the Sovereign to work all that out in their favor? Well, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at what they did. Actually, at what they saw. They would see how Jesus, their servant, was at work in all of that situation. Here's what they did. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they, the people, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And now they quote a psalm verse. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, they keep praying. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, it's interesting how they started out their response in prayer. Sovereign Lord, you're the creator of everything. They're calling upon the God that they know is almighty, who has the power to do anything he wants. Just before this prayer, they had addressed Jesus as the Prince of Life, the Lord himself, and the Christ. And now in their prayer, they refer to him as a servant. Does that sound like a contradiction? The Almighty God, the Sovereign Lord, a servant. Uh, there's a contrast there, to be sure, but it's not a contradiction. What it is, is a combination of things. You see, what they saw in Jesus was this, that he is a faithful God. Faithful to save. And even though they referred to this psalm verse that David spoke a thousand years before it happened, they were still expressing God's, had trust in God's faithfulness to save them. In that psalm verse, David was saying, 
how the kings would, would get together and, and rise up against the Lord's Christ. And the people said, we saw that happen. Herod and the leaders of our people, they all rose up against Christ. Now why did the Almighty let that happen? Well, there's another, another psalm verse that gives us the answer. And you know this one. Because we often use it at, at mealtime in giving thanks. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. That's why God did not act out in his omnipotent power and destroy things. That's why he let those kings rise up against his son. Because his mercy endures forever. His mercy. Not treating us the way we deserve. You know, you and I understand that. Because we too have risen up against God. In our stubborn, selfish ways, we have not done what he's commanded us to do. And we have done things that he has forbidden and yet God has treated us with mercy. But why did he allow that rage against his son? Well, these Christians had the answer when they said, you let all this happen according to your power, and what you decided beforehand should be done. In other words, they simply saw the Lord acting out in faithfulness to save. For you see, what happened was simply God displaying his power through that plan on the cross. The Lord is the sovereign creator of all things. We see how his power was demonstrated in the creation and preservation of this world. But God also demonstrated his power at the cross. The power of his just nature to punish sin and not us, the sinner. He crushed his own son, who was not guilty of anything wrong. He was called the holy servant. He was obedient in everything, even being obedient to the will of God to give up his life in place of us. This was God's plan, to punish sin in his son instead of us, so that the penalty was paid, and we are free from that. That was his faithfulness to save. And you couldn't argue with that. That is, he demonstrated it. Done deal. Yesterday I, I heard an interesting uh, commercial on the radio. A guy walks into his house, says, Honey, I'm home. What's for dinner? And he looks down at the floor, and he sees a piece of pizza there. And he goes, why is there a piece of pizza on the floor? And she goes, well, that's your dinner. And he goes, well, why is it on the floor? And she goes, it was too hot to handle. Now, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, what kind of a commercial is this? Is this for some new pizza place or something? And then the guy goes on, and he says, well, what's that white stuff next to the pizza? And she goes, well, that's your dessert. It's a scoop of ice cream. And I'm thinking, what in the world? 
and, and then she says, so are you hungry, dear? And he says, no, I kind of lost my appetite. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> and then the guy goes, but I can tell you what I am hungry for, a new car. And then he goes off and talks about some new car and some sale at some car place, you know? Now, as I was thinking back on that commercial, I thought, boy, that was pretty, pretty interesting. You know, they got my attention with the silliness of the pizza and the ice cream so that they could sell me a car. But you know what? I cannot tell you what kind of car they were selling. I cannot tell you who was offering the deal. You know why? Because I don't need a car. I tuned it out. I could give you all those fine details of that commercial, but I can't tell you anything about what they were saying I need. Here's the point. People are that way regarding Jesus and salvation, too. They can maybe tell you things, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he was a Jewish teacher, and, and, you know, people view him as God and powerful, and he died on a cross. But they don't see the need that they have of that Jesus. And so they tune it out. But that didn't stop what these Christians were about. Praying to God, who is faithful to save. And they continued to pray, because he was also full of grace to bless. Again, his mercy endures forever. Uh, we use that in our prayer when we're giving thanks to God, because we see all of the blessings that he's given us, and we're thankful for it. And therein, because of his gracefulness to save us, we have reason to give thanks and to ask him to bless. And here's what they said. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They asked God to stretch out his hand, not to crush the enemy, not to force them off somewhere, but to bless them. I wonder if maybe Peter was leading this prayer, because he's certainly one who saw the Lord's outstretched hand in his own life. He saw how Jesus reached out that hand to him when he was trying to walk on water and was sinking. He saw how Jesus took his hands and blessed some loaves of bread and a couple of fish and multiplied it so that he could feed more than 5,000 people. He saw Jesus reach out his hand and touch the, the spot on that man in, in the Garden of Gethsemane whose ear Peter had just cut off in trying to defend Jesus. He saw Jesus stretch out his hands and let him be nailed to a cross to suffer in our place. And he saw his risen Lord lift up his hands on that day when he would ascend again to heaven and sit on his throne. Peter knew what it meant that the Lord could stretch out his hand and isn't that what we think of with a servant? Someone who uses his hands to help? And Jesus can do so much more. 
He can help. He can heal. He can guide. He can forgive. He can give life. As we, as we hear all these political ads now for, you know, who should be the next president, and we're going to hear all of their qualifications, remember the qualification of your servant Jesus. Faithful to save and graceful to bless. Now, our politicians would like to convince us that they have a, a perfect plan for our life. Real simple and clear. In fact, that's probably how we look at our life too, right? I mean, I think back in my life and, and I look and I see, well, I've got a pretty good plan. I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to seminary, and then the Lord will put me in the church and that I'll be happy. And when I look back at my life, it wasn't such a straight line. It was a little more like this. But that was God's plan. God's plan to send me to California, to do this, to do that, to do all these other things, and put me here and put me there. And I look back, and what a wonderful plan that was. Even though that wasn't the way I would have designed it. And maybe that's what you see in your life too. Maybe sometimes we are unsatisfied with the way things are going. Maybe sometimes it's hard for us to see exactly what God is doing. Or maybe we wonder if he even is doing anything. And maybe we get kind of frustrated and impatient, and maybe we're ready to just blow it all off. This isn't worth it. Maybe it's a little bit more like a, the game plan that we're probably going to see on TV this afternoon, right? It's not just where God is moving me, but seeing all the other things that he's moving around and doing in life as well. It reminds me of, of this verse from the Proverbs. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. If things are a little crazy in your life, maybe a little mixed up and unclear as far as what the direction is, remember, it's the Lord who is planning your life. And he's got a real simple plan. He'll take all of the decisions, all of the choices that are before us, he'll take all the things that happen in our life and all around us, and he'll even take our mistakes and our failures, and he'll turn them all into something good. That's what he's promised. That in all things, he will work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, if you're like me, you just need some reassurance about that, though, right? So here are four simple things to have that assurance that Jesus serves you with his faithfulness and gracefulness. First, Remember, he is your faithful servant. Yes, he is the sovereign Lord. He is the God Almighty who knows all things. But he's also that loving, merciful God who endures forever. And his faithfulness and grace is always working. Now, how do you know that? You've got to hear his word. You've got to read his promises. That means you've got to open the book where he speaks to us and listen. Listen with faith, with a heart that's going to rely on his plans to bless. He knows so much more and so better than we do. And finally, with that heart of faith, 
then run on that path he puts you on. Just follow in obedience and see how his hand is there to bless. Will there be some doubts along the way? Probably. Are there going to be some challenges? Oh, yeah. But be assured of this, that he's going to replace those fears with faith. He's going to turn that pain into a purpose, and he'll take those obstacles and make them opportunities. Opportunities for us to serve him. Let's stop for a moment and reflect on that with our song, Make Me a Servant.
And that is a prayer God will love to answer. As we see how the Lord has served us, now we can reflect that as we serve him. Looking at our our text, there are three things that stand out to me in ways that we serve. First of all, in worship of the Lord. That's what the Christians were gathered to do. That's what Peter and John went to do, to worship the Lord. A few years ago, I read an, an interesting book, a very good book. It was called Worship, the Ultimate Priority. And it impressed upon me just how important worship is, that it is our priority as Christians. And here's why. Because that's where our relationship with God is started and shown and strengthened. People who are are distant from God are distant or absent from worship. And people who become distant or absent from worship become distant from God. Because here is where we come to meditate on him. When Peter and John healed that man, you know what he did? He jumped up with joy and praised God. Now, I have a feeling that we would probably do the same thing. If we had been lame from birth and then miraculously healed, we would have jumped up and praised God too. Well, you know what? I don't think we, we were lame from birth. Not physically anyway. And look how much God has blessed us. We too have reason to jump up and proclaim and praise him. Not only that, they, they use their voices to pray to God. And you saw what they did. They praised him as the creator and the savior. That's what their goal was, for God to continue to bless them. Recently, I just finished my unit on worship with our 8th grade confirmation class. And I just was impressing upon them how important it is that as Christians we worship God. And now my prayer is that we as adults will model that for them. So they see it is our ultimate priority. Worship has got so many valuable things for us. And praising God, and prayer, and singing our opportunities to give, to receive the Lord's Supper. It indeed has many blessings for us. And that's where serving the Lord starts. Now we also see what else the Christians did. They continue their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Yeah, they prayed. Prayed that God would use them to to be witnesses of his word. They didn't pray, Lord, wipe off those enemies. Lord, change the circumstances. No, they simply asked that God would fill them with boldness to speak in those circumstances and to speak to those enemies because their goal was to bring God's blessing to them. You know, they model for us good prayer. A good prayer is not, 
I told God exactly what I need. A good prayer is not, Lord, may my will be done in heaven, but it's thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray. Pray that the Lord worked his will and that we recognize what that will is. And he's told us that we would be witnesses in this world of his saving truth. Now look what they did. Then all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. They saw a great opportunity in looking at the welfare, the well-being of others, and using that as an opportunity to share the truth about the love of God. They saw the needs of their people. Whether it was need for food or clothing or shelter, whether it was some emotional or social need, but most importantly, that spiritual need, that they would see God's faithfulness and grace for them. We have those same needs all around us, in our church, in our community, and throughout the world. God calls upon us now to serve our neighbor. And we have wonderful opportunities through the, the ministries of our church, through our school, to work in our community, now to work up in, in uh, the state prison in Solano, and to reach out all over the world through our missionaries. Let's not slow down. Let's not let obstacles get in our way. Let's not let budgets constrain us. Let's go out with the gospel. What we know, the truth, the grace, the love of God and Jesus, and be his witnesses for the eternal well-being of others. Seeing the real Jesus. What do you see in Jesus? So many wonderful and amazing things. Today we see, above all, his faithfulness to serve us and to save us. Peter saw that. And then Peter writes in his first letter to us, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's time for us to serve the servant, the one who is faithful and graceful in serving us. That's the real Jesus. Make it the real you. Amen.